I'd been told or you'd heard that, you know, when these dramatic things or extreme things happen in your life, that it's almost like time slows down. You see something in slow motion. But I'd never experienced anything like that until this day. I was just a kid, maybe 10 or 11 years old, playing Little League Baseball in Worcester, Ohio, when I heard a loud noise, nothing like I'd ever heard before, and caused me to forget the game. It's one of those noises that immediately I'm not thinking about the game. And I look up. Our baseball field is sort of below this highway overpass. And I looked up, and, and it was like a movie or something that I'm seeing. And I can still see it right now. A, it was a Jeep Wrangler, and it was flying through the air, flipping over and over and over, like it was in slow motion. It was surreal to me then, it's surreal now to think back on it, and this Jeep is flipping through the air, and it disappears behind this embankment next to this overpass. And from that point on, all we see is smoke. And this is maybe a 100 yards away from where our game is, and of course, so some people start running towards that, that accident, and, and ambulances come, and fire trucks, and the game is stopped for a time, but after five or ten minutes, the coaches kind of look at each other and look at the umpire, and they say, well, just let's keep playing. We'll keep playing. Over there, a hundred yards away, lives are being changed forever. Tragedy is unfolding. Things are never the same. And we're just over here playing baseball. It was bizarre to see the smoke, to know what's going on, and to do nothing about it. You might think that I'm dramatic when I say this, but I think that there is a slow motion car crash that's happening with kids and teens and adolescents in our country. And I looked for statistics, and maybe I'm bad at searching. I couldn't find good mental health statistics that go back 50 years plus for kids. But over the last few years, especially since the pandemic, researchers uh, psychologists, they've been paying attention to what's going on with kids unlike ever before. And the, the levels of anxiety in our kids, the depression, substance abuse, self-harm, feelings of isolation are high. And it's all over the country. Anecdotally, it's been one of the greatest privileges of my life to hang out with high school and junior high kids for the last 15 years of my life. And I can tell you, and I would encourage you, talk to teachers and coaches. Things are different now than they used to be. Kids are still as awesome. They are still challenging my faith, and they're hilarious, and they're incredible. But, man, it is tough for them. And so every time I see smoke... I think, man, what can we do about this? And of course, when I see an issue, I want to go to the source of truth, right? Which is God's word. Of course, I'm interested in hearing what the experts say, but I want to know what God has to say about a subject. And so believe it or not, when, when, we, when we talk today about parenting and kids, the conversation actually started last week. Because anytime parenting and kids is brought up, it's really in scripture, it's within the context of a covenant marriage that kids and parents connect. Our culture talks about marriage in a contractual sense. 
There's a contract, two people agreeing to a set of terms, but scripture talks about marriage as a very different thing. I want to show you what Jesus has to say about it. If you just look in Matthew chapter 19, in verses 4 through 6, Jesus is saying this. He says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The scriptural view, the biblical worldview is that Two become one flesh. They're connected covenantally in marriage by God. Something supernatural happens. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, confirms this again in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Two becoming one. So Jesus affirms this. The apostles affirm this. This actually goes all the way back. They affirm the teaching that comes from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, we read the creation account. We see that at the end of it all, God sees Adam, he sees man, and he says that it's not good for man to be alone. And so he puts Adam to sleep. He takes a rib out of Adam and creates Eve. And here's what we read. Genesis 2, 22 through 24. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the biblical teaching. Something incredible happens in marriage. It's God that does this, he takes two complementary pieces and he puts them and knits them back into one. And it is within this context that God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. Now, this is why I love scripture. If you read in, in this creation account, you'll see that out. God said that everything that he made was good in the garden, everything. Hippopotamuses were good and swordfish are good and uh, every animal you can think of is good, but one is made in God's image and that's us. Humans, humans are made in God's image. And God tells the humans, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with my image and my glory. That is our job. That's what we get to do. And this is the biblical context of parenting and childhood. That's the foundational piece. And so when we see issues within our culture, when we see our kids that are struggling, I think that it makes sense to look back at that piece and see whether or not it's something's going wrong. From the research that I found in 1960, roughly Nine out of 10 kids grew up in a home with a mom and dad who were married. And now that number's around 64% of kids grow up in a home with mom and dad married to each other. Now, over and over, the statistics say that when children grow up in that environment where mom and dad are married to each other, they 
graduate from high school and college at greater rates. They have higher levels of emotional health. They have less mental health issues. Physically, they are healthier by almost any standard. Now, this is not meant to be a discouragement to those of you who live in blended families or those of you who come from single-parent homes. Guess what? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the God of the universe. You can do just fine raising your kids in that situation, but I'm not going to have to be the first one to tell you there's some added challenges that come along with it. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You're going to have extra obstacles. This is not meant to be discouraging. This is meant to teach what God says about family and marriage. This is what I want my kids to know, that it's meant to be a covenant marriage, and then we're fruitful and we multiply from that point on, okay? And so that is foundational for what we teach today. Now, we turn to our passage for today in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to pull out your Bibles and pull out your notes if you haven't done that already. We're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to take God's word, we're going to write it down, we're going to meditate on these truths, have these conversations. Now, the Apostle Paul has been going through uh, sort of rules for Christian households. He starts with mom and dad, that's what we talked about last week. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. And today we jump into verse 20. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. Are you guys ready? All right, let's do it. All right, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. Can I get an amen for anybody out there? All right. I thought so. All right. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. First thing is very simple. The command that God gives is children, obey. Now, I'm talking to kids right now. In a sense, all of us are kids, right? We're somebody's kids, so pay attention. But I'm talking right now specifically to children. God's command to you is to obey. And this echoes, this echoes all the way back to uh, his commandments that he gave to the, to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. I think a lot of you have heard it. Some of you may have quoted it to your own children, all right? Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. All the way back from the very beginning, it has been God's intention that we obey our parents. And it's the only of the Ten Commandments that comes along with a promise for those who obey it, that things will go well with you, that, that you will live long in the land, Essentially, this is in the promised land. Now, there's three things that I want to tell kids today. Three reasons why you should obey your parents. And I hope that you're listening. I hope that this is something that you guys are paying attention to. Students, young people, take notes. Think about these things. The first reason why children you should obey is found right there in Colossians chapter 3. It says, it pleases the Lord. Why do you obey? Because it pleases God. If you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, the God who loves you and created you and died for you, then you should choose to obey when your mom and dad ask you to do something or not to do something. That's obedience. 
And your obedience is not simply obedience to mom and dad. It's obedience to the God that gave you that commandment. Does that make sense? We obey mom and dad because it's pleasing to God. The second reason is found in Exodus uh, or Deuteronomy, rather, chapter 5, verse 16. Now, I'll give you a little background. Deuteronomy 5, Moses has just found out that he's not going to enter into the promised land. He knows that the end of his life is near, and he's giving all these last-minute instructions to the people of Israel before he goes off the scene. And Moses goes and he restates all of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 5.16, he restates the commandment that was on the broken tablets from Exodus chapter 20. And here's what he says in verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord God commanded you that your days may be long and that it might go well with you and the land that the Lord God has given you. The second reason that we should obey mom and dad is that things will go well for you if you do. Simply put, when we obey God, things go better. It's not always perfect, but things will go better. If you want to live a life that is successful and happy and filled with joy and purpose and meaning, obey God. Things will go well. I told you last week, me and my wife went to Ikea, right? We braved, we braved the wilds of Ikea together, and we actually came home with a coffee table. Um, they always have the craziest names, you know, smorgasbord or whatever it was that we got. We got one of those coffee tables, we cut it open, we, we set it on the living room floor. Now, I want you to imagine with me if the first thing that Jared did was take the instructions out and just light them on fire. Now, I'm, I may be wrong here. I'm fairly, I'm reasonably sure that we could eventually assemble something that sort of resembled a coffee table. It would take a lot of trial and error. We would probably have to take things apart and put them back together. I'm sure we would be at each other's throats the entire time. But at the end, I think that my little Bjornborg coffee table can hold a cup, I think. But it would be a lot easier if we would just read the instructions, right? Now, it wouldn't be easy. I didn't say that, all right? It's Ikea furniture. But it'd be a lot easier. And so when we obey God, kids, when we obey God by obeying our parents, things go well. You're choosing to read the instructions. You're making your life easier. You're making your life better. And the reason is because God gave you your parents to help you grow. That's the third reason that you should obey them. Number one, it pleases God. Number two, things are going to go well for you. And number three, God gave you those parents in order to help you to grow. I know that it's not always easy obeying our mom and dad. But I just want to tell you, it's not always easy being your parents either. I'll just tell you. I'll give you some insight. Kids, look at me here. Come on, pay attention. I'm going to tell you what your mom and dad want to tell you. They're exhausted. They can't remember the last time they haven't been tired. 
and they work hard and they do their best and they worry all the time about you and they love you so much that sometimes it feels like you can't even breathe. You love your kids so much and you would do anything for them, anything for them. And so it's exhausting to feel that way, to know that, to live that 24-7, 365. There is no summer vacation. There's no weekends with parenting. Honor them with your obedience. They love you. Honor them. Now, those of you who are paying attention, you'll notice, you note takers out there, I know we've got some note takers. God's commandment to wives was submit. God's commandment to children is obey. All right, now last week we talked about uh, obedience versus submission, didn't we? And the difference to obey is about your actions. Submission is about the heart. So this is a reminder that within a family, kids, you are not on equal footing to your mom and dad. The command is not originally submission. You don't actually have a choice. God is recognizing a spouse's choice in the matter. They can choose to submit or not to submit. One is, a, you know, one is good and one is bad, but they have agency. They have a choice. Children, you don't have a choice. Obedience is ultimately what you are called to. Now, I think that the older that a child gets, we should move from obedience. And as you get older, hopefully you're moving more towards submission, Right? You start with the actions because our kids don't know what they don't know. So when you say, don't go in the street, and you yell, stop, you're not appealing to their heart. You're telling them what to do because they don't know that they're in a dangerous situation. When you tell your kids, no, you can't just eat popsicles every night for dinner, they don't know and understand. They can't see far enough ahead to know that, that if they just eat junk food, down the road, they're going to be unhealthy and sick, and, and it's not going to be good for them. So they just have to obey in that instance, even if they don't want to. But the older that our kids get, the more our parents that you have to start to appeal to the heart. And every kid's going to be different. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to show your kids and teach your kids and convince your kids that you can be trusted when you ask them to do something, because they're going to begin to question. And every kid, I mean, we've, I've got an ordinary kid. I've got a couple of them, actually. The other, uh, a couple months ago, rather, I was out Mother's Day shopping with Kaya, um, and Kaya's seven, and we had gone, she loves shopping. She just wants to touch everything, all right, and wants me to see that she's, you know, looking at everything. And we couldn't find anything. We got back in the car and I told her, I think I'm just going to get mom a couple days in an Airbnb. She can sleep in, she can read books, she'll be by herself. And Kai just was floored. Who's going to do school with us? This Jarrah's homeschools them. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I said, Kaya, I'll do school with you. I'm not scared of you. And there's just silence for a minute. And then I promise you, she, this is what I heard you should be. <laughs> and then she cackled, just <laughs> like, so, some kids, it's going to take a little more. 
You're going to have to appeal to your child's heart. But eventually, the goal is to move from obedience to submission, which is a heart action of our kids when we show how much we love them. And then ultimately, ultimately, what this does is it honors our mom and dad. And that's where we want to get to. We want to get to the honor piece, don't we? Children, you honor your parents when you live lives in submission to Christ, when you love him well. When you live out the things that you have been taught, you bring honor upon your mom and dad. We don't get to leave these massive legacies. You kids are the legacies that we get to live and leave behind. And you honor your parents when you live that type of life. And now the last thing that I will say about this is that we are never too old. We never outgrow that part of the commandment. I have my own family. I have my own kids. It's no longer my job to obey my mom and dad. But it will always be my job to honor my mom and dad. I was playing um, pickleball on Thursday mornings. We play Thursday mornings at 8 at Windsor. All of you are welcome. Would love to have you. Um, Thursday morning, and I was playing against a wonderful lady in our church, Debbie Hoagland, And Debbie is a mother many times over. Grandmother. She has adult children. And And I hit a couple of shots that were just so lucky, all right? And I couldn't help myself. A couple in a row, and I'm just over there grinning because I know I got lucky. And Debbie is laughing, and she looks at me, and she says, you are just over there grinning like a little child. You look like a little kid over there. And you know what I thought? I thought, how cool is that, that this woman who is a mother and a grandmother can look at me, a 37-year-old with my big, big bald head, and, and she sees the little kids still. All of your moms and dads still see that in you guys. They'll never forget that. I know my mom sees that in me. My dad still sees me as that little kid, even though they call me their pastor. I'm honored to be their pastor, but I'm still their little kid. And so we have a choice. We, we should honor our moms and our dads. This is your reminder. Call your mom and dad, all right? Moving on, next verse, verse 21. In Colossians chapter three, here's what we see. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I talked to you a little last week about Roman um, about Greek and about Jewish households and how culturally those things worked differently. Today, I just want to share, there's, there is actually a code in Roman law. Colossae is a city in the Roman Empire that would have fallen under these Roman laws. There's a code that deals with fathers and children. And that code in, in Roman days showed that a father had absolute authority over his kids. He had every right legally to sell his kids into slavery He had every right legally to beat his children. He had every right legally, in some circumstances, he was even allowed to kill his own children. And then God comes into this this environment, this city, this Roman Empire city, and he says, here's the new rule. Don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So that's, if you're writing down, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Fathers, don't provoke. This is the headline. 
point. Don't provoke your children. There's this word, this Greek word provoke is only, it only shows up twice actually in the whole Bible. And, and I read up on this word and it seems to be just pretty straightforward. The idea is don't provoke your children to become discouraged. I think that there's a number of ways that we can do that. And I also think that this is addressed to the Apostle Paul, uh, by the Apostle Paul to fathers first, okay? But fathers and mothers, this is for both of us, okay? A father has the leadership role and the accountability, but this is a parenting issue. Don't provoke. There's two ways that I think we can provoke our kids. The, the very first way is by not giving them any sort of standards or discipline. I know that might sound weird. But I was having a conversation with uh, a new friend. He moved here not too long ago, and he was telling me about his life growing up. And he told me that, and I can't forget it, he said, growing up, my mom was definitely more of a friend than a mother. And I can tell you that he said this with sadness because he needed a mother, not a friend. And he knows that. I think that many of us can look at our society and our culture and our country and we can see that there are many young people that are entering into adulthood without any sort of standards or discipline. They don't know how to be adults. They don't know how to balance budgets. They don't know how to work hard and set goals. They don't know what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with another human being. They don't know what it looks like to delay gratification and to live a life of meaning and purpose and standards because no one ever told them how to do that. It's not something that happens by accident. And it is extremely discouraging to a 20-year-old or a 22-year-old to be thrown out into a world in which they are ill-prepared to have success. They would like to know these things, but no one told them how to do it and no one showed them how to do it. We provoke our children to discouragement when we allow them to grow up in a home where there are no standards, no discipline, nothing to strive for. And we as parents don't get the option to outsource our parenting to an iPad. We don't get to outsource our parenting to the Xbox. It is our God-given role to set standards, to tell our kids who they are in Christ, to encourage them to achieve those things. But there is another way that we can provoke our kids to discouragement, which is to set impossible standards. We cannot give our kids impossible standards. And this is hard. I think I, I, I'll just, this is my confession to you. I sometimes am too hard on my own kids because I see just how talented they are. I see just how gifted they are. I just so desperately want them to live up to their potential for their own good and happiness and well-being that sometimes I take it too far and they feel like no matter what they can do, they can't live up to a standard. This is us at, at driving home from our Little League game with our kids, and they went two for four and talking all the time about the two strikeouts and never about the two hits. 
That's discouraging to your children. It provokes them. We, as parents, are meant to prepare our children for adulthood. We're meant to protect them, of course, to provide for them, but we're meant to prepare them for adulthood. And so if we're going to do that, we need to learn to parent them with grace and with encouragement. God, God has such wonderful things to say about who your kids are, who my kids are, the purpose that they have in this world, how well they are loved by God. He has so many wonderful things to say about how gifted and talented they are. We have to teach our kids all of those things, the standards that God has set, who it is that God says that they are. We have to discipline them when they step outside of those standards, but we also have to show them grace because life is failure, isn't it? Man, no matter how well-intentioned I am, I fall short. And when I look at my Father in heaven, and I look at the grace that he has shown to me and how many times I have failed to live up to his standards. Never once has he stepped off and changed the standard. God never lowers that standard, but also never once has he not met me with grace and encouragement when I fall short. And it is at the feet of Jesus when I receive that grace that I give that grace to my own children when they fail and fall short. I think that it is so telling, mom and dad, I think that it is so telling that Jesus, long before he ever told his disciples in Matthew 28 to go, he said, follow me. He said that first. He said, let's go do this together. I think for us as parents, we can't just tell our kids what to do. We have to be present enough to say, hey, let's do this together. That encourages them. And even when Jesus left in Matthew 28 and he sent his disciples out and he said, go and make disciples. He also sent us the comforter, the encourager, the Holy Spirit to help us as we walk. Parents, we get to be that comforter, that encouragement to our children as they learn how to grow up and to move and to walk in this world. As they go through failure, we point them to grace. As they go through mistakes, we show them the God who loves them. As they struggle with identity, we teach them who Jesus says that they are, and we encourage along the way with discipline, grace, and standards. And that's how we prepare our kids for adulthood. That's really what we want to do, right? I know people joke when, when they say, you know, my kids are alive. Like, that's the standard. I know that's a joke. But our goal is not just to keep them alive. It's to prepare them for adulthood, to thrive as children. And I'm just telling you, there's smoke out there. And I don't know how to wake us up collectively to the fact that that is close by. It's happening in our churches with our kids. I don't know what it's going to take to get you to sit down husband and wife together and talk about your standards and your life and, and your kids and, and discipline, but I'm begging you to please do it. I'm begging you, take a look at your own presence in your kids' lives. Man, before I ever want to set standards on them, I need to make sure I'm living these standards as well. But I just want you to know, like, do you know how many hours a day your kid's on TikTok? Do you know? 
I know you guys. I know that none of you would ever let a stranger that you don't know go sit up in your kid's bedroom for hours each day with the door closed. And yet that's exactly what we do when we give them unfettered access to the internet, a headset, and a Twitch account. Do you know the kids that are pouring in, the kids, kids and adults that are pouring into your children's lives for hours upon hours every day? Parents, if we don't raise our kids, the world is going to do it. And the world doesn't care about Jesus. It doesn't care about standards and it doesn't care about your kids. We are advertising dollars to the tech industry. Man, parents, if you don't parent them, no one else will. And we have a choice. We can just ignore that smoke and keep playing baseball. Or we can run and make some changes. And I know that some of you right now are sitting there thinking, man, if I start changing up things with the cell phones or with the internet or with, with an Xbox, I know what's coming, man. It's, it's going to be nuclear. I know that. But guess what? God gave you the responsibility to raise that child. Their responsibility is to obey. And in time, they're going to see why you made the decisions that you made. Hopefully, someday they will come back to you and honor you for those decisions, but it doesn't matter what my kids think when it comes to discipline. I answer to God for the parenting that I do. And so parents, my encouragement to you today is God made you for this. He gave those kids to you and no one else. You may feel ill-equipped. You may feel like you don't know what in the world you're supposed to change or do, but God gave them to you for a reason. And he gave you the Holy Spirit. You have all that you need in order to raise thriving children who know that they are loved by God. Children, my encouragement to you is simple. Obey. Obey your mom and dad. Do it because it honors God. It pleases him. Do it because it's going to go better for you in this life. And do it because when we do that, we're acknowledging that God has given us our parents to grow. And parents, don't provoke your kids by not giving them any standards. And don't provoke your kids by giving them onerous standards they can never live up to. Instead, parent them with encouragement and with grace. Because if we don't do it, someone else is going to. And that's, that's just truth. I want to pray a prayer of encouragement over our families this morning. I want to invite you. If you don't have children or, or maybe you are a grandparent, I want you to pray as well. Pray for your kids. Pray for the families within our church before we're going to spend a few more minutes in worship this morning. Would you just bow your heads as we pray? Lord, I've never done anything harder in my life than raise kids. You know that it has challenged every single bit of my selfishness and my patience. Lord, that it has challenged my trust in you as I learn not to worry and be anxious about things outside my control. Lord, it has brought me to a deeper understanding of how much I am loved by you, the fact that you call me your child, Lord. And now I know that love that I have as a father and man, Lord, I know I just came across it this morning in Psalm 127 that children are a gift from you. And I know that I feel that, but I feel often inadequate 
to raise these little gifts, Lord, I, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move and work in this room right now, at this moment, that husbands and wives will grab hands, Lord, that they will silently commit themselves, recommit themselves to raising up children who know just how loved they are by God, children with standards and with discipline, Lord, that they would be strengthened to parent with grace. I pray for the blended families, Lord, for the single parents who have all these extra and additional obstacles that they're gonna have to overcome, Lord. I thank you for their faithfulness. And I pray for an extra measure of your mercy. Lord, may we as a church be a supporting arm for them when they're tired or when they struggle. And Father, I pray for us as a church body that we would never be a church that turns a blind eye to the troubles that exist. But Lord, that we will run, whether that's towards a lost person or a hurting person, or Lord, whether that's towards our children, that we will run towards them with the grace and love that you have given to us. We thank you, we love you, we worship you, and we rely on you in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.